Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon, and together with my husband, Marcus Dillon, we lead Who's Really the Boss podcast, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. All right, welcome back to another episode of Who's Really the Boss podcast. Thank you for having me back. Well, today we are talking all about succession planning. So don't turn off the episode if you're younger than us um, or just have started a business. This is uh, definitely an episode for everyone, business owners, um, accountants, doesn't really matter the industry. This is something that's very important. Yeah, I think succession plan, a lot of people have a great thought about it every once in a while and realize that it has to be there. But if you equate running a business to a race, um, there's gotta be a finish line at the end of that race. And succession planning is what gets you from the starting point to the finish line. And succession planning can look different and be a different pace for different stages of that business or race. And I think the main thing that we see whether it's clients or friends doing wrong is just avoiding the finish line at all costs. <laughs> well, let's take it back. Let's take it way back to June, 2011. Oh, okay. Were you thinking about succession planning? Had the word ever even crossed your mind? No, succession planning, the term probably has gotten a little more sexy in, in, fewer, in, in later years. Um, back then when we started the business, it was probably thought about because we bought a business from another CPA who was retiring. We were his succession plan. And now it's come full circle to where as soon as you buy that business, day one of your succession plan begins is the way to think about it. And so um, what I was thinking about in June of 2011 was deposits. And how, how do we uh, get some cash in the bank? And how long before I have to pay this bank note on this business I just acquired and all that fun stuff. So while it should be important, it may not be a priority. Yeah, because at that time, like you said, you were looking for cash flow. So looking for deposits, uh, how am I gonna serve these clients? What technologies am I gonna use? There were so many things at the very beginning, I would say within the first year, um, that were way more important than thinking about what does the end of this business look like or what does the end of my career look like? You were just getting started still in your late 20s. So the thought of retirement, the thought of selling something that you just bought didn't even cross your mind. But let's talk through some of the reasons why it's important to start thinking about that even before you open your business, yeah. if that's a goal of yours, why is it important? So there's people out there that are much better than I am at this and even better. I think I've gotten better than where I was in June of 2011. And the, the common misconception is that succession planning does equal retirement. The two do not have to equal. And so you can do succession planning in your 20s and we've seen this with friends and clients that they start a business with the intention to build it 
and then they're going to take that cash flow or that exit and go do another business or do something else with their life. So retirement planning isn't the same as succession planning, I think, or I've learned that. Um, some of the pieces to keep in mind are just the long-term vision of what you're building. I think that is probably the most important aspect of any succession plan and things change, things evolve, things divert course throughout that. But if you've got that vision in place or that location where you're driving and you know, you ultimately want to end up there, it's just a matter of how you get there. And that could look different for a variety of different pieces. So succession plan really should be the GPS that's guiding you throughout that journey. Yeah. And when we were, <laughs> when we were in college, I think this was something that we did talk about before we got married, before we had kids. Um, but I feel like we always dreamed about retiring early, like in our fifties and most likely because that was where the age of our parents were that were working hard. Like they were working long hours. They were working overtime. They would work weekends. And so different things that we wanted to do, maybe they had to miss out on, or we had to work around their work schedule. So I feel like that was something that the two of us were like, okay, when we're in our fifties, we don't want to be working this hard. Then life happens. We get married, we have kids, we start working. And the thought of retirement for you, not for me, the thought of retirement for me is always in mind, um, always top of mind, but for you. So what would you say, where was the point where you started really thinking about what, what does the end look like or what does long-term look like for DBA? DBA, it's, it's even harder because it's constantly evolving. You know, you add team members, you add service lines, you add clients. And so what does that look like as far as when to know um, how that succession event could take shape? The best thing that I've learned and tried to employ into DBA is just what can you do each day, each week, each month, each year that makes that succession event a better result. And so while I may not know the answer or the timeline necessarily, what, what decisions can you make today that either increase the value and you have to balance out increasing the value with lifestyle, as we kind of talked about earlier today, and you can't do everything based on increasing the value. Cause as we know, to monetize the value, you have to sell the business or have some type of event and that may not coincide with the lifestyle that you want to lead. So it is that balance of value and lifestyle. Um, some people are heavily weighed on lifestyle and don't care what it's worth. Uh, we've had mentors and friends that they view their business as a lifestyle business. That's what it is called. And it just creates a good cash flow for them to exist and for them to do what they want in life. On the other side of that, we've had friends that care a lot about value and not necessarily about lifestyle in certain seasons of life. And so they're building, they're in construction phase constantly of that business with the goal that once it reaches this point, then I'll exit and be fine. Most people, regardless if they're a business owner or in a career are probably heavily weighed to that side, I would think 
and disregard the lifestyle because there's this false hope of retirement that you burn up all of this time and all these chapters of life and give up lifestyle to have this exit or this retirement and then life is going to get good and I, I and that's where it's like we've seen that in parents we've seen that in friends we've seen that in clients where that's not always the case and they don't know what to do with themselves because they've alienated relationships they've done different things that they now wish they could have gone back and turned back the clock. But they're to this point, they're to this reality where they are a certain age, they are of a certain health, they have a certain dollar amount in the bank and their options are limited. So I I feel that succession planning is just giving you more options for that event. And yeah, we we could retire today, but our options would be limited tomorrow. And so like, that's the piece. Are you okay with that? And yeah, I think the answer I'll answer for you to my question okay. of like, what was the, what was the turning point when this started becoming important to us? Um, you know, after we were not so head down in the business and could start thinking, but I honestly think that it was a family, uh, event was Kinley in getting to about eighth grade and starting to think about what she's going to do as Mm. her future and her profession at that same time for whatever reason life started speeding up like the days and the weeks started going faster and faster at that point and i think that that's really so that would have been what five ish years ago um that i think we really started talking about what does this look like long term what does this look like because neither one of our children have raised their hand and said that they want to necessarily go into accounting that they want to come work at dba ever not even as like a summer job as a teenager they haven't wanted to come work at dba Um, their interests just aren't necessarily in that field of accounting. And so I think that's something that was kind of eye-opening that, you know, this business might not be built for a daughter to take over or a daughter to have a place to work down the road. Yeah. I I think the other point there, and thanks for answering that question. uh, (laughs) I think the other piece is the business that we originally built revolved around technical tax, some technical accounting the positions we have today and going forward not that they're any less technical they're just different and maybe a child or a a close family member or anybody that we have a relationship with would want to join that team because it is a different business than what it was then and what we had earlier in the life of dba nobody would want (laughs) to be a part of and um, it's amazing that we even still have some team members that were a part of those chapters and uh, thank them for everything that they've done and continue to do. But it's, um, yeah, it, I think even with the girls and their skill sets and how they apply those in life and in a career, does our business line up with that? And, you know, that's yet to be seen with what they're pursuing. And um, yeah, it'll, it'll be an interesting turn of events if that were to be the case. And I think what that helped to do was to look at DBA and continue to make it a place that people 
do want to work, that people do want to be a part of, that they are providing value every day to clients, to each other, that there is some sort of fulfillment and satisfaction that they can go home at the end of the day and feel good about what they've done during their day and not that they're just a cog in a wheel and that they matter, that they're important. What they do, what they do day in and day out matters to the people receiving yeah. that service. Yeah, and I, I think with um, succession planning, you, that's just a part of overall business planning. It's not to be viewed kind of as just completely separate from what you're doing as far as year to year. You and others on your team, your leadership team, need to be thinking about what is the long-term sustainability of your business and looking not only at internal factors but external factors as those impact the business. So um, every business, every business owner will have a succession event just because we don't all live forever. And whether that's an internal, a family, an external, a broker, whatever, um, it's going to happen. So avoiding it is not good and really just is, is you're going to let whatever external events happen to you versus you having more control and options. Yeah. And I know that our clients, our peers, kind of rub off on us and motivate us into different directions. And so I think that was another um, catalyst for us to start looking at what are what are options even for down the road, um, probably way down the road. Uh, and so some of our clients' businesses were selling um, and just different different life events. So either they were coming to an age where they wanted to retire and then looking at who who would be next, who would fill their spot when yeah. they were gone. Um, others were young and being approached to be bought. So those were some things happening outside of DBA that kind of got us thinking, you know, what what's going to happen with DBA? What would we want to do? So can you talk through some of the, for an accounting firm, some of the possibilities, what does that look like for succession for an accounting firm? Yeah, I think you go back to uh, what we've historically known and where it's you work as a single partner and, or a small firm may have multiple partners, but you build up this book of business and then you tap someone internally to kind of take the reins and they buy you out and there's this event and you kind of ride off into the sunset and get paid. That's very hard to do because the business has changed so much and will continue to change. And the skill set of the people internally may not want, they, they may not desire uh, to own the business the way that you own the business and to have your life. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this change in our generation of these firms or these businesses that were built by people who were okay with the grind and building up these calluses of long hours and client interruptions and just technical work that a different generation does not want have to have any part in. Um, the second piece is you can actually build your business, get to a certain point and then list it with a broker for sale. And that's still a, a very common thing. Um, given the makeup of your business, your service lines, your team and your clients, uh, probably in that order, service lines, team and clients are how your business is going to be valued. And so if you have great service lines, things like monthly recurring revenue and contracts that are supported by great service lines. And then you have great bench strength 
on your team, people that'll step in and be kind of that next level leader. Um, and then clients are last that ultimately is viewed as part of an event that is driven by a broker, whether it's a, Hey, we're going to sell this and walk away, or we're going to upstream merge it. It's kind of the last option. Um, upstream merger is where you get the business to a certain point and then you join with a, another firm, whether it's a similar size firm or a firm much larger, but that's an option that a lot of people grow to and want to aspire to. Um, with that, you have to be prepared that as part of that event, you're probably likely going to go to work in that firm in some fashion for an amount of time, whether it's three years, five years, whatever. So just plan on that as, you know, as part of your planning. And then that way you don't get to the point where you're 62 and want to retire in six months and, oh, well in this option, I've got to work till I'm 67. That's not ideal for either side. So, and then those are really the three most common. We're starting to see new options that exist with private equity entering the market um, and really supporting like pillar firms, um, firms that can grow and add smaller firms into this pillar, um, whether it's a regional pillar, a niche pillar, whatever, and somewhat to a similar in many ways to an upstream merger, whenever you're joining a large CPA firm that had the partnership model, but it's different because the owners are different because it's private equity owned and there's a bank essentially involved at the end of the day. So the, uh, the structure of the organization, how it's run, is just a little bit different. So options are evolving. Um, what I would say is if you're in our space as a CPA firm owner, just to make sure that you know the options that exist today and that you have to measure those, uh, that timeline that you have with those options and start talking to people and start reading, talking to people and depending on your timeline, do that sooner rather than later. Yeah, and those are, I would say, valuable options. Those are options that you would want to do, yeah. but require planning. They're sure. not ones that can happen in three months. Like you decide in three months later, not the most uh, beneficial way to the owner or to the new yeah. buyer, whoever, the successor, whoever's taking over. Something so common that we've seen for years and years and years, and every accountant who is listening has also experienced this, is a prospect calling saying, my my CPA retired, they closed the doors, I have to find somebody new. Yeah. So just literally option, right? closing yeah. the doors, like I cannot do this one more, they typically have done it a long time, they probably scaled back a lot and you know turned people away slowly yeah. over the years until one season they're just like, I'm not doing it again, um, I'm not doing taxes again. And they just not leave their clients out to dry, but they, so many times we've heard over and over again, they don't even yeah. give their clients an option of who to call or who to go to. They just say, I'm no longer doing this anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it's an option for sure. And sometimes there's a death. Like, you know, the guy, the person who's leading the firm yes. passes away. And so like, that's just, it's unfortunate that that has occurred. But yes, there is a, he's vanished he's gone into a different career path he has um or she has just not not doing this anymore and so that is typically a result of not 
planning and not having the most ideal business. So what we would typically see there is that individual has probably not built a team, not built a succession plan to kind of care for those client base moving forward, not even a referral to another firm or another group. And so that's, that's the worst option. And, and that's probably, if you use that as like, I do not want to do that. So do anything else, but it is one of those pieces where if, if you do not want to do that, you should plan uh, accordingly. So, and I think that that's a big reason that even if you're starting your business today, yesterday, a year ago, that succession, succession planning is so important because death and life altering events, they happen and those happen unplanned. And so there has to be something in place for what happens if you don't show up the next day, um, not only for your team members and your clients, but for your family that's on the other side, whether they work in the business or don't yeah. work in the business, what happens to the business if you were to just not be there one day? That looks a little different than deciding yeah. on what's happening at the when you've decided it's the end of your career, um, but definitely a very, very big reason to have something in place and not just yeah not think about it or not it's so easy to say like i don't want to think about yeah. something catastrophic happening and so you just do nothing about it but so important to have that type of plan in place as well correct so succession planning it, it's it's customized and individualized to every business and business owner so one succession plan could be that you block and monetize clients over a, a set number of years to get down to a point where you do have a very small client base and it's that lifestyle client base that you can maintain through retirement really. And, and you want to do that and keep sharp. Um, the other, the, the other options exist. It's funny that I was going through our client list, getting ready for like this practice management implementation that we're doing. And we do have a lot of M&A, as you mentioned, and we have seen a lot of clients have transactions. Right now, what we're seeing over the last three to five years, a lot of activity happens in two categories of businesses. And so it's businesses that are owned by people that are 35 to 45, have an, have an event and sell their business and look at that next chapter as a partner in this or an owner in this or just some other pivot into a different industry, 35 to 45 or 65 to 75. So I think that's where those two are kind of where we see the most happen. And it's unfortunate that a lot of our industry peers fall on that 65 to 75. And it's very hard for another business to want to give high value to a business that's run by somebody in their 65 to 75 range. And that's where, what can we do if you aren't going to sell in that 35 to 45 range and make an exit over the next few years to get you to that point where it is, it is a value. And so I think that's just, it's a, a commonality that I saw kind of in our client list because of just how people have created wealth in mid-career or mid, um, mid-life, I guess you would say, uh, we fall in that bucket, but that's kind of scary to say mid. And um, kind of that later, the last chapter of their career is kind of that, oh crap, 
I've got to sell this business because I can't keep going. Yeah. So what are some of the steps if now we've decided this is important and I want to start looking at it? What's the first step for succession planning? Uh, realizing you have to have one, <laughs> like, you know, so. <laughs> okay, step two. Yeah, so step two is um, writing out the vision of what you want that to look like. So maybe your destination has gotten clouded or uh, it's just changed so much over the years, but given this chapter of life, what do you want, where do you want that destination to be? Is it a financial number uh, where you're trying to get to a certain mark? If that's the case, how do we back into that and build the business that we want to that's worth that and how are we moving towards that on a daily weekly monthly yearly basis the other piece there is surrounding yourself with others that'll hold you accountable is is very important so once you've set that vision talk through it vet it with somebody else that's either been there has experience with things like this and that can honestly speak truth into that if that's even a viable option but if it is viable can help you plan on how to get there and talk to different things that will happen along the way as you're going that way. Um, and, and that's where, you know, we do that for clients. We do that for peers and, and it's just, it's life giving to us because of the changes that we've made and the ways that we've bought and sold practices over the years and things like that, that have kind of added to our journey. But I think that's where, if you just do those three things, set a timeline, set the destination and get us like, just get guidance from somebody. Those you'll be like much better off than trying to do it yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what's really important in that last step of getting the guidance from someone else is the nuance in there is that person's going to point out who would be the buyer or who Correct. would be the successor that would be willing to pay for this and what they're looking for so that you're building that business for something specific in mind and not just blowing and going. Do you want to talk a little bit about some things that maybe some misconceptions that people think are valuable and it, it might be in business in general or it could be specific to the accounting industry but just some things that people think are valuable that somebody is going to want to want that yeah. isn't actually valuable um i mean there's a variety of different things so one if you don't have the right guidance that's well versed in the timeliness of the market you could sell for the wrong price so if you go into it thinking your book of tax clients is worth 1.25 or 1.5 X and you're going to get cash at closing and you're going to be able to retire. That's false. And that's just the market is changing daily. And there's actually a discount now if you do have a primarily tax book and there's not a lot of opportunity for that new buyer. So um, the other piece, how that kind of drives some of the decisions of that value are, why are you adding individual clients that call you every time at into this practice that no one's going to want to to buy what else can we be doing that adds value to your practice where it's looking at mrr looking at services like payroll or software implementation or different things to add revenue sources that are worth more whenever you do go to exit um, building out the right bench strength. Are you passing on good quality candidates that can be that next level of leader 
and be a part of your succession plan or make your firm that much more desirable to the firm or, or the owner that is going to take over your firm after you choose to retire. So a lot of that is the pieces that all fall into place and can, can kind of build a very good succession plan that really set up the, the owner for the best exit possible and the most valuable exit as possible. Yeah, so just pulling out some pieces of things that you just shared, some things that are of value that people do seek out, having monthly recurring revenue, having a strong team with a good culture in place. Um, what else? Um, having like just the services you offer um, are weighted um, more. Um, so do you do audit and tax? And we used to, right? So we know uh, what that life looks like. It's very heavy compliance and it's become a commodity. Or are you more advisory? There's higher value in advisory and things like that. Now, some people, depending on your practice, and this is where it also helps to have good guidance. If you have a heavy, high volume of tax clients and you haven't done any cross-selling or anything in that business, there may be some opportunity there, but you have to present it in the right way. It's kind of like a fixer-upper. Mm -hmm. And that book of business may be worth a lot of money to some of the new buyers in the market, like financial services, RIAs are buying practices now. So they want volume of individuals and businesses which they can sell their financial products into. And that's why they value those businesses a certain way. The other pieces there are, um, you know, just whenever you have somebody that is skilled and is up to date in the market, they're going to, they're going to be able to speak to, you know, the realizations that you've probably had in your practice over the years and work with your timeline to make small shifts along the way. We stay very in tune with this. I'm, I feel I'm as up to date as, as I can be just because we get a lot of questions and try to help peers around this. Um, so we know who the players are in the market and the way that the market's going. The main thing that the conversation that has come up in recent weeks is what if we just marry two firms that are so similar to get to a certain revenue mark, let's say 10 million, then that $10 million firm is worth so much to these larger regional firms that that'll be a great exit for these aged out partners that were each $5 million firm, let's say. And that is not the case, unfortunately, because what, what has to happen in that $10 million two location firm with five partners that are all retirement age, nobody wants that practice or at least a regional firm does not want that practice. And now you've essentially made your buyer pool so small for the people that actually have cash flow to welcome those clients, welcome those team members in their practice that they've got so much leverage. Maybe the better idea is to not join up, not become a like a $10 million firm and stay a four or $5 million firm and work within that, get it crafted the right way first, and then look if there's reasons to merge other than just combining top line revenue. Um, if you're doing it just combines top line revenue and you have an aged out partner base with no bench strength, that's detrimental to a deal, not beneficial. 
Yeah, and I would say the last, the only other piece that I can offer here is that the owner, the current owner, um, is not the only practitioner in the business, meaning the business not does not revolve around one single person that if they were missing, then that would take all the value yeah. out of that business. So making sure that you're elevating people within the firm, whether that's a leadership team or other partners or things like that, to where the business can run without that yeah. one sole owner who's trying to move on to the next stage of life. Yeah, and what you do there is, um, when I review practices for sale or try to help people think through what that means for them, uh, you look at owner hours. And so when I, re when I review or help people gather that information, if the owner is working 3,000 hours a year in their 60s, that is going to be a very challenging practice to sell or walk away from whatever it is at that point because so much of that revenue revolves around that one person. You take that person out of the business and you have to go hire two people and the, the profit metrics go out the window at that point because the new owner, they aren't stepping into a thousand, three thousand hour production role. They're going to have to go acquire two people, which your, your practice just became a lot less valuable. So if we had five years, 10 years to work towards that, how could we put people in place and delegate a little bit at a time, work that owner out of that 3000 hour a year commitment? more of like a 500 hour a year commitment maybe they enjoy the business longer and maybe they stay in it longer that's we've seen that happen but then also it's a lot easier for a new buyer to come in and absorb and see actual results of that practice versus just make a ton of assumptions and anytime assumptions are going to be made in a in a in an m a event there's going to be a discount because there's no security in, in that performance going forward. So, um, the other, the other piece, and if you're listening to this, um, and you're thinking about that, increase your prices, like increase prices to the value that you bring to clients, because that will help bottom line that will help asking price, everything like that. So if you feel you're under market for, um, what you, what your cost is to clients there, that is very important to stay on top of. Yeah, well, this has been a good conversation. And while we do have to think about what's long term for DBA, I love that we've transitioned our firm to more of a lifestyle firm where retirement is not the only thing that we think about or that I think about. We are not so burnt out that the only thing that sounds good is doing nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's awesome that we've created a business that not only us, but our team members enjoy being in and can sustain for yeah. the foreseeable future. So, and I think where you just mentioned, like doing nothing, mm -hmm. most people get to that point where it's not doing nothing; it's doing anything else. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, some people are so overworked and yeah. have just literally run themselves into the ground that what sounds good, if you ask a lot of moms today what sounds good they're like i just want to sleep like i just yeah. want to take a nap so that's kind of where i'm coming from on so that. they want to go to prison yeah. and just like maybe you know i mean sometimes sometimes that doesn't sound bad they, yeah. they solitary provide confinement your food. <laughs> they yeah. provide your food you can sleep as much as you want work out watch tv it's fun times no all right well this has been good thank you so much see you on the next all right
Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. Leave us a review with your thoughts, comments, and feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.